Ladies, welcome. Shailib Shabbat. We have a, uh, a double header. Maybe two parashiyot this week. Israel, they're only reading one, so actually we're catching up. So by the end of this week, uh, the world will be united again. And everybody will be reading the same same parashah. We've been so separated from Eretz Yisrael. They've been ahead of us. Well, Eretz Yisrael, usually the tempo in Israel is a little faster than America. But now, uh, Baruch Hashem, we're going to catch up. And we're going to read the parashiyot matot mas'eh. I wish I had time to uh, expound on both parashiyot. Uh, but because Erev Shabbat, the time is short, so I had to choose uh, to talk about one of the two. So I took a coin and I flipped it. <laughs> That's the best way to... We are the lucky one. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, they're both lucky. In this, in this case, you win on both. Heads you win, tails you win. <clears throat> anyway, the coin landed on Parashat Mas'eh. Parashat number two. So this will uh, be the uh, universal Parashat. The one they're reading in Israel and the one they're reading in Hunzla Aris. We picked the... Uh, the parashah that we both have in common. Uh, parashat Mas'eh is named appropriately because of the journeys. Mas'eh means journeys. The travelings that the Jewish people took in the Midbar. So when we came out of Mitzrayim, it wasn't a direct uh, flight from Mitzrayim to Eretz Israel. It was a stopover. And uh, it was a lot of stopovers, actually 42 of them, until we finally got to Eretz Israel. 42 different station stops. I think that's uh, about 10 or 15 less than the F train. But uh, the point is, it was a long, long journey that took uh, 40 years. And I asked a simple question. We're not getting into you know, Kabbalah or anything deep like that. The Torah lists, we went from here, and then we went from there, and from this place, and from that place, and it actually gives you the train schedule. It tells you exactly when we pulled in, when we pulled out, where we went, destinations. And I'm asking a question, which may be an elementary question, but for what purpose? What do you have to know this for? What do you have to know about the travelings of B'nai Yisrael and B'awad? Does that make me a better person, a worse person? It's history, okay, so Jewish history. Uh, you know, leave it for the history books to discuss how long they traveled and where they went and when they went. It's not a mitzvah, put it this way. It's not one of the 613 mitzvot. A mitzvot, you got to write. You want to tell me interesting stories, fine, but what do we need to know about the 42 travelings that they traveled in the midbar? It's a train schedule. So I found no less then five answers to this question. You ask a good question, you get answers. So it's a very simple format this morning. I asked you the question already, I'll give you the five answers, I'll bid you Shabbat Shalom, and you'll be on your way. Hopefully we can do this in a timely manner. So the first place that we look has to be Rashi. So Rashi comes along and asks, Okay, we're in good company. It's exactly his question. Why were the Masa'ot written? For what purpose? To come and tell us how kind God is. Now how in the world does the Masa'ot teach us how kind he was? That even though after the sin of the spies, God promised that now we're going to sojourn in the desert and He's going to take us on a circuitous path. We're not going to go straight into Eretz Israel, which sounds like <clears throat> it's going to be a very, very long and arduous and difficult uh, uh, traveling. Says Rashi, not so. Because if you do the math, uh, after the sin of the Miragelim, at most, the Jewish people traveled in 38 years, no more than 20 stations. So that's, that's not a lot of traveling. 38 years, 20 stations, 
So therefore the Pasuk is coming to say, even though God cursed us that we're going to be wanderers that are going to sojourn in the desert, so you might have thought every day, pick up your bags, pack your bags, pick up your bags. Now if God wanted to torture us, he could have done that, by the way. <clears throat> we complain that we have to move from Brooklyn to Deal. And we're complaining that we have to move. And even when we're moving for two months, we say, oh, and then we have to move back to Brooklyn. We, we, we dread it to, to move that. And if we're going away, that we have to pack our bags for a couple of days. That becomes a, a daunting thing. So traveling definitely takes a toll on a person. And therefore, God vowed to us after the sin of the spies, you're not going to have an easy path. I'm going to make you circle this desert over here. So the pursuit comes and tells us that even though he promised it, but it wasn't as bad. God had mercy on us. We only had to travel 20 different times in 38 years. So that's, you know, it's less than one move per year. So we move more than that. You know, we're going from Florida to, 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 to Deal to Brooklyn. We move more than that in one year. And Benesa basically had a, a, an easy... So it's to highlight the kindness of God. It could have been worse. It could have been worse. Well, that's Nashi's interpretation. So if anybody asks you, what are we reading all these Pesukim for? You say, oh, do that Hashem Kitov. Look how good God is over here. We traveled 42... Fourteen of those, by the way, or, or, or before, uh, they were done before the sin of the spies. So we were going directly into Eretz Yisrael. But after the sin of the spies, not so bad. Okay, that's Rashi. Now we have the opinion of the Ramban. Now the Ramban with the Nun actually quotes the opinion of Rambam, but a mem. The Rambam wrote a book called Guide to the Perplexed, Morin Nebuchim. If you're, not per, if you're not perplexed, I don't recommend it because it'll only perplex you. But if you're perplexed already, it'll make you more perplexed. It's a hard book to read. But there's some beautiful, beautiful pieces of Harambam in there. And he writes, why does it say the 42 Masa'ot? So he says like this. The reason why you have to know where these places to where these locations were. Lomar had tzorech lehazkir ha-masa'im gadol me'od. It's a big reason, he says. Ki al-nisim ve'autot ha-na'asot hayu amitiyot lechod ro'ehem. He says, listen, the people that were in the Midbar knew very well that every second that they're living in that Midbar, it's a miracle. <clears throat> I don't know if you ever went to the desert before. A desert is a very inhospitable place for people. First of all, during the day, it's blustering hot. There's no place to get shade. There's no trees. There's no uh, awnings. At night, the weather changes drastically and becomes bitterly cold. And then you got to deal with the snakes and the scorpions <clears throat> and the lack of food and the lack of water. Uh, people cannot live in the Midbar. <clears throat> Unless you go on a camping trip, and then you only can stay for as long as your supplies last. And you got to get back to, 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 regular, uh, to regular land. And the Jews lived there for 42 years. So it was a miracle that you could even live for one day in the Midbar. Now, they knew the miracle, but the future generation, says Harambam, might question that maybe we were traveling alongside towns and villages and cities. So therefore, it wasn't such a miracle. We'd stop off at a kiosk uh, on the side of the street, pick up some uh, snapples, pick up some waters, pick up some, uh, you know, some uh, snacks for the road, and then we go to the next place. And therefore, it could be that although we traveled in the Midbar, but it was in basically an uh, 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 inhabited area of the Midbar, uh, where provisions are easily found and water, was, and therefore the people might minimize the miracle, says the Rabbah. So therefore the Torah says, go take out your map, we're going to give you the names of the places. So you can go to the Midbar and look at those places and you tell me if this is next to civilization. And you tell me if there's a kiosk or a pantry or a vending machine within a thousand miles of these cities over there that they, they traveled through. And you're going to see there wasn't. And therefore to verify the miracle so nobody can question if it was actually in the Simbin Flaot, Borei Olam says, here's the locations, here's the zip codes, here's the map. Go see for yourself. I read Harambam's Lashon. 
He says, V'yashivu. The future generations will think, Ki amidatam midbar. The fact that they existed in the desert. Biglal shaya karov mina yishuv. Because it was close to the yeshuv, it was close to the, the settlement. He says, just like where the Arabs live, they live in the desert, but they make sure that they're next to some, uh, some town when they need stuff. So he writes, Al-Ken hirhik melibot b'nei adam ha-machshavot ha-ele. Olam wants to remove those thoughts from your brain, far away. V'chezek ele ha-otot kulam b'zikron ha-masaot. So Borei Olam strengthened the miracles by telling you these are the places. Kedeshiyiru otam. So they can see them, hadorot habaim, the future generations. V'yidu ha'otot ha-gedolot. They'll see the wonders. Ech amdu b'nei adam b'mkomot ha'em arba'im shana. And all you'll do is scratch your head and say, how did these people survive it for 40 years in such a place? Kol elu devarav. So that's, that's a beautiful explanation of Harambam. So what do we say? We have five. So how much did I give you so far? Two. We have Shittat Rashi and we have Shittat Harambam. Now I'll bring to your attention the Seforno. Seforno. <coughs> We're learning Homash. Like, this is the way we learn Homash. With commentary. Seforno says, You know why we're writing the Masot of Israel? To show how good the people are. Look how much faith the Jewish people have. God basically is telling them, go travel into the middle of nowhere. And nobody asked, what are we going to eat? What are we going to sleep? What about the scorpions? What about? Everybody went without question. And they traveled for 40 years in the Midbar. And therefore they had tremendous trust in that color. So the Pasuk is telling us, look at these places over there where these people went. So therefore we have three answers. You have a question? How did I know you had a question? I could read your face. Oh, I was waiting for that. You fell right into the trap. The, the answer is, the answer is, in 40 years, in 40 years, how many times did they complain? Three times? I know people that complain three times every hour. <laughs> they come to my house, we'll see what complaining is. <laughs> Not bad. Three million people, they complained four or five times in 40 years. Oh, we remember the cucumbers. And they got over it. They, they went further. So it's not, uh, it's not such a bad record to have a few, uh, few outbursts and a few uh, you know, aberrations. But by and large, they went. So therefore, again, I'm reviewing the three answers. The first answer is, What are you mentioning it for? To show you how great God is. That he didn't take us in hakafot. Even though he told us he's not going to make it easy, but it wasn't so difficult. It could have been worse. God had kindness on us. According to the Rambam, so nobody will question that this was not miraculous. So nobody should think that we were in some, uh, you know, local midbar that had provisions on the side. No, go check it out yourself. It was a place that was desolate, the semen of the Lord. And the third explanation, Sophono, look how great the people are. These are people over there that had men, women, children, and they went. Uh, we, I wonder if, if, if we would go. We, we, we go on a, on a small uh, 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 flight to Florida and we have uh, two bags of food for a two and a half hour trip and we're going to food. We're going to food. <laughs> and we carry all the food with us over there. Because we say, well, what if? What if? God forbid the flight should be delayed for five minutes. Uh, we have to eat. So we have to have uh, so that'll be eat. But you see over here, B'nai Yisrael went and they didn't even know what they're going to eat tomorrow. They didn't know what they're going to drink. That's a credit of B'nai Yisrael. Therefore, the Torah lists the places. Look at all these places over there. You wouldn't go there for five minutes if they told you to go there. If they gave you a million dollars, you wouldn't be able to send. And they didn't question Borei Olam. They went. Now, the fourth explanation is based on an opinion of a rabbi called Yere'im. There was a rabbi, Ashkenaz rabbi, called Nabili Ezin Metz. Metz is a city in uh, Europe, Metz. Nabili Ezin Metz wrote a sefer called Sefer Yedeim. And he 
has an interesting opinion. It's brought down by a rabbi called the Litva in Masechet, uh, uh, Masechet Yoma Daplamidchet, just for the sources. There's a law that says you're not allowed to go back and live in Egypt. You know that law? It's one of the laws in the Torah. Once we left Egypt, God says, you can't go back. So the $3 million question is, especially if we have Egyptians over here sitting in the crowd, they said, what are you talking about? We can't go back. We went back. We went back. And we were in good company, by the way. Harambam went back. There was a a Jewish community in Egypt after the Exodus. There's shuls in Cairo. There's shuls in Alexandria. There's shuls all over the place. It was a very, very bustling uh, 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 community there. Very, very, very prestigious. Great hakamim from Harambam down. But what, are you telling me that they were all in contempt? Torah says you can't go back. So how did they go back? That's the Yidim's question on the Jewish communities that went back to Egypt. What were they relying on? And he doesn't want to say that they made a sin. Because no one's going to say that Harabam, you know, made a avon. If he wasn't allowed to go back to Egypt, he wasn't going back. Obviously he had some type of leniency. So he says a big hadush. He says that that, what it says, you can't go back to Egypt, is to go back from Eres Yisrael to Egypt following the route that they took from Egypt to Eres Yisrael. You're not allowed to take the same route. If you look at the Pasuk, it says, Which derech? The derech. So Harabam didn't travel the, the route. He went from wherever he went. Therefore, all these Jewish communities that lived in Mitzrayim, they didn't follow, they didn't come from Edison following the route. So says the rabbis, that's why you need to know the route. So you'll know what you're not allowed to do to go back to Egypt. Wow. Understand what we're saying here? The reason why you have the 42 Masa'od, because just in case somebody wants to go to eat back to Egypt, you got to know the spots because you will not be able to take the train and stop at these 42 stations to get back to Mitzrayim. If you don't know the 42 stations, then how can you know the law of not going back? So therefore, I have to tell you, so it's a very technical reason why it said it. Not everybody agrees with this Symphony Yidim, by the way, and maybe we'll have a class to explain, if you don't accept the Symphony Yidim, how then the Jewish communities live in Egypt? It's a, it's a discussion in itself, but at least we have the Yidim to rely on. Okay, fine. But now I want to give you the fifth answer, which is the answer that I really came to talk about today. So there's a, uh, there's a halakha. Halakha says that when a, uh, when a person is in a place where miracles took place to his ancestors or her ancestors, you're in that location, the halakha says you have to make a beracha. What's the beracha? Baruch atah Hashem, Elokenu melech haolam, she'asan nisim la'avotenu b'makom hazeh. Yeah, this is a, a very, very important uh, uh, mitzvah. Anytime miracles were done for your ancestors, you would not be alive if those miracles did not happen. So therefore, just like they have to make the beracha when the miracle happened, the children and the grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, when they see that spot, they say, wow, thank you for making a miracle to my fathers and mothers in this place over there because I would not be here if it wasn't for this miracle. It's a regular, full-fledged beracha, and it's written in Shohan Aruch. How do we know this, by the way? How do we know this halakha? Where do we learn it from? So actually, it's a Gemara, it's a Mishnah in Berachot, in the ninth Perek. The Mishnah in the Berachot says, makom nes So the Gemara says, for example, let's say you see the spot of Kiryat Yamsuf. I don't know, you go back to Egypt, you go back to the Sea of Reeds, over there, and you see the, you see the spot. Well, if you see the spot, put on your snorkels and go underwater, you probably make a lot of money, because you have all the money of the Egyptians. So besides making a blessing, you probably become rich if you know the spot. But put that on the side. You make a bit of God. 
If you go to the Jordan River and you see the spot where the Jordan River split when the Jewish people crossed it in the times of Yoshua, you make a melachat. And the Mishnah lists different places where miracles happen. So the Gemara asks, but how do you know you have to make a melachat? Who told you? So they learn it from none other than the story of Yitro. Big, big wow. What happened with Yitro? Yitro was the father of Moshe. So Yitro was living in Midian. And the Jewish people now are coming to Har Sinai. And Yitro joins them. Yitro, Yitro joins the people. And it says when he joins the people, what does it say in the Pasuk? Vayomer Yitro, Baruch Hashem Elohei Yisrael, Asher Hitzil Etchem, Miyad Paro, Miyad Mitzrayim. He makes a beracha. Shtabach Shemo, Baruch Hashem, Asher Hitzil Etchem, he saved you. What a miracle this is over here. Miyad Paro from Mitzrayim. That's the source, how you know that when you go to a place where you see a miracle, you make a beracha. <laughs> I asked a simple question. <laughs> it's not the place. It doesn't say he was in Egypt. If you want to tell me Yitro was in Egypt, then he was in the place where the miracle happened. But he, he met them up at Har Sinai. This is post-miracle. So they were, how do they learn from this Gemara? How did they learn from Yitro that in the place where a miracle happened, it's not the place? Yeah, very nice, you throw me the beracha, maybe it's a beracha about Talar, I don't know what type of beracha this is over here. Do you understand my question? If you're telling me that what, that this beracha is dependent on a location, on what type of location? The location where the miracle happened, like the splitting of the sea, that's a location. Or the splitting of the Jordan, that's a location. But the fact that you throw medicine Har Sinai, which is, uh, about two months after the miracle happened, I said, oh, Hashem saved you. Baruch Hashem, Hashem And I'm asking, it's no proof. I did see an answer to this question. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't, you don't like it, but I'll, I'll tell it to you. It's some rabbi called the En Yaakov. He said that one of the miracles in the Midbar was that we had clouds of glory. Right? The clouds of glory that were on top of us. And the clouds of glory did a lot of things for us. Besides giving us ventilation, besides pressing our clothes, besides shining our shoes. Eh, it's a good item. This, uh, it's like a, yeah, it's a butler. It does everything for you, these Ananek Kabur. And at night it gives us heat. It's an unbelievable item. But one of the things it did was it leveled the terrain. And you have to remember, we're walking in the Midbar, there's incline, there's decline. Now, all you got to do is change the incline if you ever go on, on, the, on the treadmill. All you got to do is put 2-3%. It's a, it's, a, it's a different game. Now I started walking uphill, 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 uphill. So in order to keep the terrain level, that we don't have to walk up mountains and down mountains, the Ananek Kabod flattened everything. So therefore, it was just a straight, straight path. So therefore, with the Ananek Kabod, there was no mountains. So says the En Yaakov, so therefore, normally if you had Har Sinai, you would be unable to see Egypt from Har Sinai because the mountains were blocking. But now that the Ananek Kavod leveled the mountains, you had a direct eye view of Mitzrayim. So therefore, you throw some Mitzrayim from Har Sinai. And therefore, he was able to make the Beragah because he saw the location. Levanted? That's a sharp answer. That means, yes, Yitro, with the advantage of Ananek Kavod, leveling the playing field, so he was able to see it. He just took out his binoculars, his hands right there, in Egypt, I see it. Normally your binoculars are not see-through, you can't see through the mountain, it's not the x-ray vision. You didn't need x-ray vision, you were able to see it, there's a direct path there for you, oh, Mitzrayim, I see the border. But I'd like to give you a different answer. That's brought down by a rabbi called Maharsha, which is the topic of what I came to discuss today. All this was an introduction, <laughs> a, a, a good introduction, mind you, a good introduction, a proper introduction, but it's only an introduction to the main course that will be served 
uh, at this moment. And it's based on something that Maharal says. Okay, I don't know if you know this, but there's a law when we pray in the morning. Right before the Amidah, we make a beracha. Baruch Atah Hashem, Ga'al Yisrael. What is that referring to? Ga'al. You redeemed us from Mitzrayim. Ga'al Yisrael. And the Gemara says that you mustn't, mustn't make an interruption between Ga'al Yisrael and the beginning of the Amidah. That's called Somech Geula Letfila. That means the second you say Ga'al Yisrael, Hashem Zavadai Deftah. At the start, Hashem Zavadai Deftah, by the way. As a matter of fact, if you come to our minyanim, so we pray with the sunrise, so that we have to uh, orchestrate to make sure that the second we say, Ga'al Yisrael, it's the moment that the sunrise is coming up, so we say, Baruch Atah Hashem, Ga'al Yisrael, Adonai. We say Hashem's name aloud even, just to show that there's, there's a, a, a tight connection between the two. And that's why, for example, uh, you're not allowed to say Ga'al Yisrael and then pause or kiss your tefillin or answer an email or a text which you should never, never should do during the prayers. We're very careful on this. Semichut ge'ula And the Gemara says you have to do that in the morning and you have to do it at night as well. And because when did we come out of Egypt? We left at night, but the actual exodus when all the fun happened was in the day. So therefore, there's a geula at night and there's a geula in the day. And that's why at night, by the way, if you pray Arbit, I don't know what you do exactly, but if you do pray Arbit, so you look at the Sidur, there's a beracha, Baruch Atah Hashem, Ga'al Yisrael. And then what do we do right away after that? Hashkibenu. Hashkibenu. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. After Ga'ay is still in Arbit, there's another Beracha. It's this big. Hashkibenu, Abinu l'shalom, va'amidinu malkinu, a'imdinu shalom, So the Gemara asks, hold it. If you're not allowed to make a gap between Ge'ula and Tefillah, you got this big paragraph called Hashkibenu that's interrupting. Understand the Gemara's question? In the morning, we don't have that question because it goes, Ga'al Yisrael Hashem Sevadai Tiftah. But in Arbit, it's Baruch Atah Hashem Yisrael. And now we pray Hashem. What is the Benachar Hashkibenu, by the way? That Hashem saves us from sickness and from plague and from troubles and from all the problems. And have a simony, holy, v'magifah, v'satan, all the different problems. If you look at Hashkibenu Benachar, it's a beautiful Benachar, nothing to talk. Shomer et Amo Yisrael. Hashem protects his nation, fantastic beracha. Only problem is, it's a wedge between Geula and Tevila. That's the Gemara's question. Hey, you know what the Gemara's answer is? It's a beauty. If you never learned Gemara before, there's such a typical, classical Gemara answer. Gemara says, you say that it's an interruption, and you know what we say? It's not. Now there. <laughs> now, now what do you want to do? You want to argue? You, you say it's an interruption. It looks like an interruption to me. I mean, I see, I see a full paragraph over here that's smack in the middle of my sindu that's blocking the Amidah from Ga Yisrael. And the Gemara says, well, we're telling you that it's not. And we're the authorities to tell you what's an interruption. It's not an interruption. And there you have it. Take our word. It's not an interruption. So it's abracadabra. So the Gemara says, I'll tell you why. And, and, and even this is strange, but the Gemara says, because Hashkibenu, that beracha, is called Geula Arichta. It's an extended Geula. That means Hashkibenu is part of Geula. So therefore, you thought that Ga'al Yisrael ends Geula, doesn't. There's a bonus. There's extended play. Geula richta. Ah, this is semantics to me. 
I mean, you can get out of you can get out of every question like that. Anytime you have a question, oh, it's anichta. It's extendo play, and therefore you're okay. So basically, what we just did is we thought that Gila ends here. And then we say, no, you know what Geulah ends? I can extend it a little, it ends here. And therefore, we are being somech Geulah to Tefillah, because it's Geulah Arichta, it's an extended Geulah. So far, you're following the Gemara, ladies? You're learning proper, this is the Gemara. Now we explain what the Maral said. The Maharal says something, uh, something incredible, something beautiful. And he says like this. <coughs> Let's think for a second. When Bnei Yisrael came out of Mitzrayim, that was a big thing. That's Geulah. Came out of Mitzrayim. We never thought we'd come out. It was a jail. Besides all the voodoo and the witchcraft that the Egyptians had, you weren't able to leave. They had us in a, uh, in a spell. There was like a magnetic field. You couldn't leave. You know sometimes when you go to the supermarket and you, try, you have these people try to steal the carts and then all of a sudden you get to a certain spot the wheel locks because they have some sort of uh, magnetic field that if you want to take the car a little too close to your car, people steal things. So they figured out a way you can't steal it. I don't go to supermarket that old, my wife tells me. But the point, and I didn't try to steal one either. But the point is, but the point is, so Paro had this thing on the Jews. If they would get a little too far, you get into a magnetic field, you can't leave. So the fact that we broke through and we were able to leave, this is a tremendous geulah. But now the question says the Maharal, great, you got out of Egypt, and now what? I mean, getting out of Egypt is just, I would say, part one. But now what do you do with three million people? How do you sustain them? How do these people survive? You gotta get from point A to point B. And this is three million people and they gotta, you gotta figure out how to feed these people, how to give them lodging, how to give them protection. Snakes and scorpions. I mean, this is a logistical nightmare. I mean, what, what could have happened, by the way? is the Jews could have left Mitzrayim and what Paro really was banking on, so they'll leave. Two days later, you'll see three million people dead in the desert. They won't, they won't get three, three steps out of it. So where are they going? They're running into no man's land, like we would say. It's not like they're running into a, a seven-star resort. They're running into no man's land. It's a dangerous way. So therefore, for Geulah to be complete, we would say there's two parts of Geulah. There's the the event, that's when we left, and then we would say what's called the process. Which means, till we get to point B, you're in the process of, of a redemption over here. The redemption is not complete until, until you get there. I mean, would, would Yitzhak Mitzrayim be valuable if everybody perished in the Midbar? We wouldn't have a holiday called Pesach. We'd be going, oh, we got out of Mitzrayim, and then what happened? Oh, then, well, well, well. We all died in the Midbari after that, but at least we got out of Mitzrayim. So then we would be better off dying in Mitzrayim. What's the purpose? So therefore, that's what the Maharal means when he says, Geula Arichta. Geula Arichta means that Geula is not only an event. Geula is a process. The event happened when we left Mitzrayim, but then for the next 40 years, we're in the process of maintaining that Geula. Surviving exactly the maintenance of that Geulah. And by the way, my opinion, the maintenance of that Geulah was no less stunning than the event itself. To, to maintain three million people, you needed special water supplies, special man falling from that. A lot of uh, supernatural stuff had to happen. And that's all part of Geulah. 
So therefore, the Maras is beautiful. What does Hashki Benu talk about? We have a Sidur. Beautiful. This Sidur has it. Fantastic. Show and tell. If you open up the Arbit Tefillah, Hashki Benu Abinu Shalom, take us in peace. Ha'amidenu Malkenu, establish us, we should stand in peace. Ve'haser ma'alenu, remove from us. Deber, Hereb, Holy, Sarar, Ayagon, Mashhit, Magifa. All these things are troubles removed from us. These are the troubles that the Jewish people all face them in the Midbar. And therefore, Ga'al Yisrael is talking about when we left Egypt. Hashkibenu is Geula Arichta, which is talking about the process when we were in the Midbar till we got there. It's Israel. So therefore, the Gemara is not just saying it's not. It's not an interruption. They're right. It isn't an interruption. It is indeed Geula Arichta. It is the extension of the Geula that began when we came out of Mitzrayim. Understand how beautiful, how magnificent this is? It's a beautiful explanation of the Maral. It's not stand that the Gibran is saying, oh, it's not an interruption. But for a reason they're saying it. Because again, in the Midbar, we were subject to enemies, to pestilence, to sword, to sickness, to trouble, to famine, to agony, to mashit, to magifah, to, you know what magifah is? Uh, uh, plagues, a pandemic, that's the magic word today. So therefore, we pray to God and Hashkivenu, protect us. God, it is you that protects us and saves us from all bad things. And when did we see this Beracha come to the highest level of fruition? 40 years in the Midbar. Did God not save us from all these things over here? COVID testing didn't happen in the Midbar. So if a guy got COVID, what? The whole place is going to... No, they, they, they survived my gear four. They survived everything. They, it was the biggest miracle of the Midbar. Enemies all, all, all around us. They, they could come along and just throw things from the top of the mountains where they were nothing. Everything we were protected. Nobody got bitten by a snake for 30 years. Here we go. Two seconds and there's snakes and scorpions all over the place. And mosquitoes and stuff like that. No poison ivy, no nothing. 40 years. God not only redeemed us, but He sustained the redemption. That's called Geula Arichta. That's a, such a beautiful, elegant interpretation. Now, once you accept that, the concept of Geula Arichta, therefore it's not in the way. So I would say like this Ga'al Yisrael. It's Pesach when we left. Hashkivenu is the Midbar. That's the two stages. Now, once we go to this level, I can say it big Hadush. I'm going to say something that's connected to Sukkot. You can say, it's not Sukkot now. Don't talk. Ladies, since I'm the moderator of the class, I get to decide which holidays I want to talk about when I want to talk about them. And I've decided that now's a proper time to bring in the holiday of Sukkot. Regarding this holiday, a lot of questions people ask on it. One question they ask regarding Sukkot is the timing of it. I mean, Sukkot is to commemorate that when we came out of Egypt, so stop right there. When we came out of Egypt, so when did we come out of Egypt? We came out of Nisan. So therefore, why, why make a, 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 a holiday that's commemorating something that we came out of Egypt and you do it in Tishri? Now I know you're going to say, oh, we have enough holidays in, in the Nisan, you know, we want to split it up to make it... Uh... No, but that's not a reason. Especially the ladies cleaned already, so... Uh... Make, a, make it a 14-day holiday, you know what I mean? It's uh, clean hard enough. But the real question regarding Sukkot is the following. Why do we need this holiday at all? What, what does it commemorate? That when we came out of Mitzrayim, we had clouds of glory. 
Now, by the way, there is a connection because today Aharon died. Today's the yard site of Aharon Kohen. And it says on the day that Aharon Kohen passed away, Rosh Chodesh Ab, the clouds of glory dissipated. So there's a connection to Sukkot. For those that need a connection, I gave you a connection now. Something happened with the clouds of glory. So what do we say? When we came out of Egypt, God surrounded us with clouds of glory. And I'm asking, that's great. But why does it deserve its own holiday? I mean, it's a detail in leaving Egypt. So I have a great idea. We should make one extra day on Pesach. We should make instead of the eighth day of Pesach, we're going to make a ninth day and say, by the way, this is to, to remember the clouds of glory when we came out of Egypt. And nobody, people are away, they stay an extra day. No, instead, we're making a separate holiday to commemorate a detail. But you should know the answer by now. Because Pesach and Sukkot celebrate two different stages of the Geulah. Pesach celebrates what? The Exodus. Sukkot celebrates the process. The fact that we were able to remain in the desert for 40 years and we survived it. That's Geulah Arichta. Sukkot is Geulah Arichta. Imagine. And that's why, by the way, that's why we have a seven day holiday, just like Pesach. Just like Pesach that celebrates the event in seven days, the process also needs to be seven days. And that's why, how many months is Sukkot from Pesach? But ladies, you know the calendar better than anybody because you have to cook for these days. Six months. Pesach is a Nisan. That means it is the furthest away from Pesach. If Sukkot would be any further, it's closer to Pesach. Why would we make this holiday the furthest away from Pesach on the calendar? Because the further, the longer time we're in the Midbar, the greater the miracle. If you want to celebrate the Ula Richta, so to celebrate one day you survived the Midbar, all right, big deal. Two days, well, three days, six months, wow, that's... So therefore we celebrate the Geula Arikta in the furthest point on the calendar from Pesach because that will magnify the miracle. That's why it's six months. Again, because if it would be any day later, already it's closer to Pesach. So therefore we put it out as far as possible. Understand how we're learning? Not only of the Geula of the event, but the Geula of the process of how when we came out of Mitzrayim, that's Sukkot, different holiday. It's commemorating two different items. It's not an addendum to Pesach. It's a, it's a holiday of its own. And guess what? I would say then, Pesach is what? Geula. And Sukkot is Geula. Arichta. And look what I found, by the way. If you go back to the Hashkibenu uh, Beracha, you'll see something amazing. In the Beracha of Hashkibenu, what do we say? Sukkot is mentioned in Hashkibenu. Which means we don't mention Pesach every day, but we mention Sukkot every day in the Tefillah. Actually, the men do mention Pesach in the beginning of the prayer. But the point is, what are you mentioning Sukkot? Because since Hashkibenu is Geula Arikta, it's mentioning what? The process of Geulah through the desert. So therefore, that's connects us to the holiday of Sukkot. You understand this is a, a deep, a, a deep, she's right. Now, based on this, we answer our question. We had the question on Yitro. Yitro, it says, how do we know that when you see a place where miracles happened, how do you know you make a beracha? So we say we learned it from where? Yitro. When Yitro came to Har Sinai, he saw the Jewish people there. He said, Baruch Hashem, Hashem, And we asked, but what do you mean? That's not the location. 
But the answer is, it is the location because the Midbar is an extension of Mitzrayim. It's an extension of the Geulah. So wherever the Jewish people are in the Midbar, that is the miracle right there. Till now we thought, no, where is Geulah? Egypt proper. You got to see Egypt. No. To come out of Egypt and survive the Midbar is also part of Geulah. So therefore he was seeing the location itself. When Yitro came to Har Sinai, what did he see? How are these people surviving? Where are they eating? <laughs> there's, no, there's no pantries over here. There's no uh, Amazon uh, 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 Prime. How are they getting food? There's no uh, uh, fruit salads. There's no all these things that people eat all day long. Uh, bars, uh, coconut juice, all the stuff that people are eating today. Gluten-free uh, stuff. There's nothing here. And nothing to eat. And we see everybody, Baruch Hashem, nobody's hungry, nobody's complaining. Nobody, anybody thirsty? No, nobody's thirsty. Water, water, where there's water over here. I can't believe it. He says, wow, wow, wow. He says, I'm witnessing the Geulah in front of my eyes over here. This is Geulah Richta over here. This is, the process is continuing. Therefore, Yitro made the Beracha not off location, but on location. Ah, this is a, a deep answer of the Maharsha. Ah, it's so beautiful, those answers. Oh, so that already brings us to the fifth answer of why it has to list all these uh, locations. Because, just in case any of you next winter vacation wants to take a trip to the Sahara Desert and you have your map with you, and you'll find yourself, the tour guide will say, oh, by the way, we are now entering Ritma. You say, Ritma? Wait, that's one of the, that's one of the stops on the, on the train. So you'll have to make a beracha, That's why you have to know the locations. Because there's a halachic ramification. Now that you know the locations, if you or any of your descendants will ever find themselves in one of these 42 places, you are now bound to halakha. Because Hashem made three million people exist in such a place. And you're going to look around and say, I can't live here for one second. And my ancestors lived in this place for years at a time? Didn't they get hot? Didn't they get cold? Hypothermia, dehydration, malnutrition, megafort, all this, nothing. And you say, sickness, of course. And what do you say over here? So now we have 42 additional locations in the world besides the place where the sea split and besides where the Jordan split. If your travelings ever will bring you to these places, and that's what it has to list them. Know that these places over here, you're bound by Jewish law to make a berakham. And that is a, a very, very... Uh, significant reason. So I just review and then uh, that's it. I'm going to retire for the day. The five reasons that we said why Parashat Mas'eh has to be written. Rashi says to show us the kindness of God that he didn't circle us around as much as he could have. He actually made the trip a little more easy than not. We didn't have to pack our bags in and out, up and down uh, more than 20 times in 38 years which is not so daunting. The Rambam said the reason why it says it, so nobody will think that this was not miraculous. Lest you think that we were in an inhabited area of the Midbar, we weren't. Here's the places, go look for yourself. The Sephorno said to show the loyalty of the Jewish people that we were told to go and travel in the middle of nowhere, or actually a thousand miles from the middle of nowhere, and everybody went. And nobody questioned, what are we gonna eat? <laughs> We have people that are in a restaurant that are complaining, what are we going to eat? <laughs> and you're in a restaurant, there's food. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> For people that complain in restaurants, there's no way they can be able to go to the Midbar. And we were in the Midbar where there was no food and nobody said anything. How do you like that? And then the fourth answer we said is, it's to tell us the route so you know that you cannot follow this route back to Egypt, according to the Sephardi of the Im. But the most beautiful answer is the fifth answer that we said, and that answer is based on the halakha. You need to know the locations because in these locations there was nisim that were made la'avoteinu. And now that we're in uh, the Ben time, I would 
extend and say, that, and I'm saying this just in thought, I'm not saying this in practice, but we should have an urge. We come to an event like this on a Friday afternoon after 2,000 years of bitter exile, and we have righteous Jewish ladies that are sitting attentively and listening uh, uh, to a class. This is Geula Arichta. This is Geula Arichta. This is a process. That how, do we, how do we still have people that are still interested in this stuff? 2,000 years, what they did to us, the Goyim, and we didn't give it up. As much as they were trying to pull the book from us, as much as they burnt the sip into us, as much as they exiled us from place to place, from concentration camps and ghettos and all sorts of uh, slaughtering and, and whatnot. And what are we doing? We're still here and we're still holding on. And therefore, I say to a certain extent, whenever you see a bunch of Jews get together, doing this is a miracle. This is a miracle in front of our eyes. Not la'avotenu. lanu. This is nisim lanu. Not la'avotenu. We are... It means, it means the future generations they'll come back to Lawrence Avenue Synagogue and say, wow, my grandmother used to sit in that seat over there on Friday afternoons over there and she used to learn Torah with the rabbi. Oh, It's a miracle. It's nothing to, not, not to be taken for granted that we're able to hold on to a tradition for so long and with so much resistance of them trying to take it away from us. And Am Yisrael... Lo Yisrael lo The eternity of Klai Yisrael does not, does not let us down. The Torah is what stood for us. Even though every single generation And what? With all that, our enemies, they got what they tried to do to us. They got the result of lechalotam. And Am Yisrael is still high v'kayam. That already is a nechama for us. And we should be very, very comforted to know that even though it's a difficult exile, but there's a bright light, there's a silver lining in the exile. Sha'asan nisim lanu ba makomazeh. Okay, let's stop with that.